Hey, y'all, and welcome to the Keeping It Center podcast. I'm your host, Jaquetta Gilbert. This is a space for women who want help keeping God at the center of their marriage, their role as a mom, and while using their gifts to make a difference in the lives of others. This is for real women with real issues serving a real God who holds us in the palm of his hand. So if you're ready to take off the facade, woman up to your imperfections, and invite our Father in every part of your beautiful mess, girlfriend, you're in the right place. Thank you all for tuning in to another week of the Keeping It Centered podcast. I am super, super excited um, to be talking with someone special this week, and um, I'm just going to not steal his thunder. I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself and uh, let us know what he does for everyone. Well, thank you, Jaquetta, for having me on your podcast. My name is Curtis McGown, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and the executive director for GRC, and we provide mental health services to global workers all over the world. I am so excited that I met you, or, well, you know, met you through someone that I know at church, but um, I'm, ex- I'm excited yeah. about this connection that we have because I'm not sure if I told you, but I'm also uh, a school counselor, and so um, mental health really means a lot to me. And um, that's one of the reasons why I thought it would be great to have you on here, too, to kind of have that mental health perspective of, uh, you know, just being a Christian. Um, So out of curiosity, what drew you to the mental health profession? I would say a few different factors in my life. So as a kid growing up, my dad um, was a pastor as well as the director of a couple of different children's homes. And so most of my friends growing up were kids that were, uh, that came from troubled families and backgrounds. And I think that combined with my personality type or temperament, um, one that I, I cared uh, about a lot of people. Um, and then in terms of, uh, start out as, uh, I think listening skills, um, and then just as I um, grew into adulthood and uh, worked um, in some different positions of trying to help people, realizing that I really needed further education and skills to, to effectively uh, help people in the ways that, that I wanted to. And so counseling uh, seemed to be the, the right fit for me and in uh, and, and the ways of, of trying to help. And uh, as my wife as you know reminds me too that i'm i'm a fairly niche guy so uh i don't have a skill set really for a lot of other professions and so i think this was just the one that that god had in mind for me well he knows exactly what to give us and how to uh get the glory out of all that so that's awesome that you found yourself on this particular path that's great yeah so you told me you have this love for helping people um, and, and that love caused you to further your education so you could be a better assistance to people. Um, you know, mental health has different, you know, avenues you could have taken with that. Um, 
why specifically those in global ministry? Why does that population mean so much to you? Yeah, that's uh, something that actually came about a little bit later for me. So I, after I uh, became a counselor, actually I was in Florida, um, I served, I think, in every population possible as a mental health counselor. So I worked in um, with middle school students in a behavioral hospital. Um, I worked in uh, church counseling programs. I worked in uh, for the state, the Department of Children and Families. Worked with the Department of Juvenile Justice. Um, I worked with the extreme impoverished and also the extreme wealthy uh, in Orlando in private practice. Um, I did consulting and counseling and did seminars, did supervision. And so really uh, just kind of a, an interest in, in all different populations, worked with a lot of cross-cultural uh, folks and then a lot of people who were in ministry there. And I think a lot of it um, first started out with just a sense of where where would God uh, like to use um, us as a family, and then part of it was where's the greatest need, and where's the you know where's the where can we best serve um, with gifts and skills that we had, and we found that the, the global worker community uh, really had a significant need uh, for for. Um, particularly professional mental health services, and uh, just found that that was um, a good opportunity there. But once I started doing it, um, I found Global Workers actually to be the best clients ever. And so now I'm I'm a bit spoiled with this population. I really do enjoy working with them almost more than any other population I've worked with. Wow. I did not realize you have that much uh, experience with that many different populations. Um, that's really, yeah, really I've cool. Tried everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I may have to ask you some questions like outside of the podcast. Then. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I think it's really cool that all of those different experiences though, I know you said you're a pretty niche guy. I think that it's really cool how all of those experiences kind of led you to this path. Um, it doesn't sound like it's something like you woke up one day and said, this is what I'm going to do. Um, it, it sounds more like, you know, right. God had this desire of helping in your heart and he just kind of helped you navigate that a bit and, and learn some things here and there to bring you to where you are now and um, to kind of make you fully blossom. So I think that's really, really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> so tell us a bit in this journey, um, because it, it's definitely been a journey for you in, the, in those many uh, different outlets there. How has your relationship with God changed um, over the course of those years until where you are now? And um, even more so in your position with GRC. I think um, one of the things that probably stands out to me is how unpredictable God is. Mm -hmm. And that I think I'm also convinced he has a sense of humor <laughs> and in, at least in my life. And I, you may be able to tell, I'm not one of these people that um, had a, you know, had a, had a plan of my future mapped out from, from A to 
to Z. Mm -hmm. uh, plan A, B, C, and D usually don't work out. I find that there's always a new curve. There's always a new opportunity. There's always a new circumstance that I can never account for. And so I think, you know, this, this, the unpredictability of God and that in terms of what unfolds and what life brings, um, and then also, though, the, the graciousness and dependability and presence of God um, at every curve, at every turn. And that has been, um, I would say, that abiding peace. Uh, so I, I think that's the I always uh, the, the 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 quote that kind of stands out to me. Um, that probably sums it all up is that um, the the peace of Christ comes through the presence of Christ, and um, despite circumstances. And circumstances are hardly ever peaceful, um, and especially in, in our line of work. <laughs> I, I described counseling to somebody as I, my job is literally to sit and work with people at the very worst points in their life. Mm -hmm. And they inevitably get better, and the irony of our job is that as they get better, we no longer work with them. We only ever work with people at the worst times in their life. Right. And they, most people move in and out of those places within a season of time and don't live in those places. But for, for those of us that are mental health professionals, we literally go to work and live and work at the lowest point. And I think the other thing that God has shown me is, the, is really a front row seat to, to his work in people's lives. And that he's the one that uh, changes the heart, and um, he's he, he's in the business of doing a lot of work on a lot of people, mm -hmm. and we we get to sit in those secret and sacred places um, with people that that a lot of other people just don't know. They just don't see it. They don't have the opportunity to hear the stories, or at least not that candidly. So, yeah, I count it a, a privilege, and that it really a unique position um, as a counselor that most people in this and you know in the world don't get to really hear that many uh, stories at that level of kind of personal um, kind of tender vulnerable places. Right. Something you said stuck out to me. Um, you mentioned that being a a counselor makes you feel as if you can understand God's role better um, and having that front row seat into what he does for us on a daily basis. And I admit, I've never really thought about it in that uh, way before, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I can only imagine like, you know, what God is really dealing with. Um, you know, we're on a much smaller scale compared to him. And I know just from working with my own mm -hmm. students how, you know, I don't want to say exhausting in a negative way, but it's, it's heavy work, like you said, and you're, you're hearing a lot of stories and just being able to mm -hmm. process that and still go about our day to continue helping others. I don't know how God does it. <laughs> oh. No, <laughs> it's probably good. We don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you know, at the time of this recording, we are currently going through a global pandemic um, with the coronavirus going on. And, you know, I'm just I'm curious, 
outside of that, what would you have said would have been the biggest challenge for um, those global workers that are serving um, before the coronavirus erupted? Mm-hmm. What would have been the biggest challenge? And now that it has, kind of take us through what you, you've been hearing some of the biggest challenges are. Okay. Well, I'll, let me say this about the context. So every session that I've had this week with clients on most continents are all uh, either in self-imposed quarantine or they are in a government-imposed quarantine. So I don't think I've met with anybody who's not homebound this week. Ironically, the coronavirus and being quarantined or in lockdown actually is not the biggest struggle, challenge, or stressor of any of my clients. So it's a it's a reality, and I it was kind of reflecting on that a little bit today in another uh, context, that most of our clients, I would say, are <laughs> they're, 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 they're pros. They, that, this is their normal life. Maybe not the lockdown part, but mm-hmm. their normal life is unpredictable. Um, they deal with governments that are oppressive or visa departments and immigration departments that give them their, you know, that tenuous visas. They can get kicked out of the country at any moment. Um, most of our clients live in countries where they have no legal rights, so they're really vulnerable to whatever the culture um, imposes upon them. Um, they're used to plans not working out, to changes, to unpredictability, to chaos, to natural disasters, to extreme poverty, to assault, to um, all kinds of violence. And so what I was just reflecting, I was realizing that, yeah, I don't, I don't recall any of our conversations that that's, even I had a client who actually has the coronavirus, and it was an afterthought. It wasn't even the primary thing that we needed to, to do counseling with. And I think so that might be a little bit different between our global worker clients and maybe a lot of clients that are in America where this is the biggest maybe disruptor or stressor in their life. So I don't know what to really make of that. Just I thought it was an interesting observation that, that I wanted to share with you and your, your listeners that global workers kind of live in this world of chaos and, unpredict- and unpredictability, I would say, frequently. Mm-hmm. The... The, the number one thing uh, that I would say across the board um, is, is rarely the – I've never seen it as a presenting problem on an intake form, but I, I think it's present with almost all of our clients, and it's shame. Um, there's something about being a, a, you know, a Christian global worker that, that adds this extra layer of expectation – or accusation or inadequacy um, that I just haven't found in other populations that I've worked with. Uh, it's, it, it's almost, um, I would say, you know, global workers struggle with all the same issues that everybody in, in the U.S. struggles with. But there's this extra shame that, that at a deep core level, they don't feel like they should be struggling with it or that they're wrong for having that kind of struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that makes sense or if you want me to share more of that. Sure, sure. But that's the, the most concise way I can put it. 
That's um, actually really interesting. Um, I've been mentioning before the recording uh, another person that uh, works globally in ministry that was on before, on the podcast before, and um, one of the questions I had asked was, you know, what are some of the things that were missed by being here and being over there and, and what were some of the realizations that came about after being abroad? Um, and that is one thing that was said is that there are a lot of the same struggles. <laughs> and and I, I did not imagine mm-hmm. that to be a response. Um, it, it, it honestly made me check my own self because I realize how entitled I can be and how selfish and self-centered I can be. Um, and, and just that conversation that was shared just reminded me that whether you are serving here or there, you know, we're all people, we all have emotions and we're all on this faith walk mm-hmm. together, <laughs> regardless of where we are. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we see, you know, I think I've seen, the only thing I would say maybe is a little bit different is that a lot of global workers go through um, some kind of psychological evaluations or screens. So a lot of the, uh, let's say, the more severe psychosis um, is kind of screened out. Uh, so that might be one of the differences. But we get all the, um, you know, I would say the big, the big three are depression, anxiety, and traumatic stress. So those would be... Um, maybe in more inordinate presence in global worker population just because of the circumstances that they endure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if there's a, there used to be a, a, a stress assessment, the Holmes Rahi stress assessment, and it, and it had a, a, a score for if you get a certain, I think it's 300 points or more, you're you're more like you're most likely to get sick within a certain period of time. But 300 is the max level of stress that anybody should really be at in a year. And somebody in the global worker community did a research on this. But they found that it's that the the average global worker uh, maintains three to four times that that uh, stress level chronically. Wow. And it's this. So the the global workers are three to four times more stressed chronically or at least under stress circumstances chronically, than what an American maximum stress level should be at, for just a moment. Mm. And so that brings up some interesting uh, kind of questions is what's the impact of, on mental health of global workers if they're under that much chronic stress? Right. And the, the idea there, and that somebody did this research and they found that stress is not static, it's 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 um, dynamic, mm-hmm. and that human beings can endure in, intense amounts of stress as long as they have correlating amounts of support. So people can do incredibly difficult things in life as long as they have the supports that help them endure it. And people, on conversely, have a really difficult time enduring small amounts of stress, especially if they have no perceived supports in their life and uh, I don't know if that you if you see that uh, in working with different clients that those that that have supports really can endure a lot and those that have no support really have a hard time with with what would seem to be maybe just kind of uh, normative stressors in their life right yeah yeah here's my question 
what I've wondered is, you know, depression, anxiety, PTSD, the things that you were saying is found in a lot of um, cases. Sometimes there is that shame there for some people and they may feel as if, well, if I fall into, you know, one of these categories, am I even capable of contributing to God's work in this capacity? Um, Mm -hmm. What would you say then to that person who, you know, they either they are currently in that role and they feel as if maybe I need to get out of it because I've got my own thing going on. Um, or even that person that wants to explore this, but they, they have that shame and they just feel as if oh, I'm counted out now. I've got too much going on there. There's no way I can be used now. What would you say? Uh, there, I would say a, a couple of different things um, because it's a, it's a great question and it deserves a more complex answer. Um, so one part of that, I would say, is that most people who I think we would consider heroes of the faith, um, struggled with, with with some kind of intense emotional, uh, experiences. So, uh, by definition, it doesn't actually rule out almost anyone, um, it's interesting, I would say, one of the things that we do in our work, as much as we probably do uh, less actually healing of emotional turmoil, and we help people steward their suffering well. That, I would say, um, is the thing that I would say to somebody who struggles with depression or anxiety or, or traumatic stress, is can you, in faith, steward that struggle? And can you accept it? Some people even get to the point where they view that as their, um, for lack of a better word, their, their ministry partner. It's the thing that makes them sensitive. It's mm-hmm. the thing that couples with compassion, uh, with um, a lot of intuitive people tend to have sensitive spirits. It's the thing that you can, where if you can read how somebody else feels, um, a lot of times those people tend to be more prone toward uh, depression. Now, I, I would also suggest that there are ways to guard the heart in helpful ways. There are ways to, there are skills to steward that uh, gift, um, to steward one's struggles. And that, I would say, is the bigger key for whether or not they would be ready for some kind of global work, is whether or not they have found um, you know, appropriate amounts of either healing or skill to steward it well. Um, I would say global work is not um, probably the best place to start that journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it, for those that are in the U.S. and that may be considering it. It's it, I, I always we recommend to um, you know start a journey of health and well-being. Or uh, I mean we we work. I mean we live in a culture where there's a lot of abuse in the past. Um, global workers aren't any different. What we found is those that will do their healing work. Um, you know, and, and get and get down, you know, somewhere down the road of that journey, um, inevitably it gets triggered again in high-stress situations. Well, like I said a minute ago, global work is a high-stress reality. It tends to trigger past abuse as well as past addictions. Um, so the person that has that isn't disqualified being wise to be able to steward it 
and um, have some healing and freedom in it is is also wise. Um, the person that's on the field who's never had that before and they're struggling with this, um, you know, a lot of it, it we, we actually work with a lot of people who, who maintain, continue in their work. They do have a lot to offer. Um, and then we've worked with some uh, that get where it gets so bad that the trick is to not wait until it gets so so bad that there's no other alternative. Um, so we find that people who reach out for help earlier tend to have a lot better opportunity uh, to be able to learn how to, to, to struggle well and, and remain faithful in their call and their work. That's funny you said that um, people that reach out earlier tend to have better uh, chances of dealing with things properly. Why do you feel um, some people wait so long? Um, what are some reasons why they may not, at the onset of issues, go ahead and reach out for that help? Um, again, I think it's that we've seen uh, multiple factors in that. One, uh, by definition, global workers tend to have high threshold of suffering and or pain. Um, they tend not to be uh, people who are um, entitled or who they, they, they assume they're going to be bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. And so there's this sense of every time there's a bump, the assumption is, well, that's just part of the that's just part of life or that's part of the job or that's part of living in another culture. And so sometimes they don't discern the difference between say a, a, a normative transitional challenge versus something like an adjustment disorder versus something like a, maybe an episode of depression. Um, even distinguishing that sometimes from, you know, we've worked with people who have uh, PTSD and they go, but I never had, um, you know, one big recognizable traumatic event. And what we hear in their story is they had a whole series of what would be considered, you know, most people would call them smaller, minor events, but they had 20 of them instead of two of them in the last two years. And so the accumulative effect. Um, so a lot of people, uh, global workers tend to not focus on themselves a lot. And again, probably by definition, they're there to help other people. Mm-hmm. Almost all of our clients are, are serving where they're serving for the benefit of, 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 of other people groups. And they, they just view their role as, as being helpers, not, um, and it's usually until something really disrupts them, you know, maybe in their marriage or with the child or if they can't get out of bed. So something has to disrupt why they're, maybe they're calling before they really start to, take it seriously so those are just a few of the factors that that we see i want to go back a, a little bit you were saying that um it, most global workers seem to do a, a bit better if they acknowledge that um the issue the presenting issues they may have and to get some skills under their belt um, before taking this journey mm-hmm. Um, what kind of skills and how can they go about getting those skills? Um, what are some of those skills that they would need to fare better in the, in the work that they're about to embark upon? Yeah, I think in, in general, um, 
probably, and to speak real kind of broadly, universally for all global workers, self-awareness is, I think, a key component. Um, and again, when, when people are in helping professions, they're not always taught to be self-aware. Some, some, some of our helping professions focus on that, some do not. Um, but being aware of oneself, what's happening, what are the signs, how do we read when we're fatigued, when we're stressed, um, how do we know the difference between when do we need a vacation versus when do we need a, a significant change, uh, either in location or in job role? Um, the, so I think self-awareness, um, you know, again, another broad would be just emotional intelligence. Um, another big one, and there's a book on this called Boundaries. Um, I, this is, to, to if I can be kind of universal, um, most women who are drawn into helping professions, especially cross-culturally, um, tend to be very compassionate and sensitive, and they go to places where there is way more need than they have capacity to help, which just inevitably leads to uh, really a, a, a lack of boundary, um, vulnerability to burnout, um, a lot of other emotional disruptors. So I think it goes back to the being self-aware of what what is what is your tendencies. Mm-hmm. If you're prone to depression, learning about um, depression within yourself, how do you identify it? Um, if you're prone to anxiety, if you're prone to uh, burnout, or you're saying yes to everybody who has a need, um, how you know developing boundaries for that. So for some people that's reading books, there are classes um, for different people to prepare. Uh, there's actually one called SYIS, Sharpening Your Interpersonal Skills. It's a one-week relational, uh, emotional skill uh, training for specifically people who are in the global worker community. Um, there are more and more training programs. Uh, they're called pre-filled training uh, that also help with this so that people can better understand their personality and how do they typically respond to stress. Um I think a lot of people nowadays actually are already seeing a counselor or working with a counselor toward uh, better self-discovery, make sure that they have the right skills for them. So if somebody is looking for something like that or even coaching. So I know that a number of people are providing coaching services for global workers um, so that they can um, really understand what are their goals and they have a plan and they understand themselves and be able to monitor, you know, how well they're doing in that process. The classes and, and the different trainings that you mentioned, are these resources, and forgive my ignorance, but are these resources that are offered specifically through GRC, or is this something that um, global workers could find at other um, organizations as well? Through other organizations. Uh, so I guess, yeah, let me clarify that kind of the two groups of people. Uh, we've got the people who are already, let's say, living in another country, and this kind of comes to light, and they're like, I really want to work toward um, better skills and boundaries or uh, self-awareness. The resources available to them are different than, uh, so, in, you know, any of your listeners that are in the U.S. and are thinking about going across country, there's a lot more res- resources in America 
and more training programs that really help people get prepared to go live and serve cross-culturally. Once they're already on the field, um, those are a lot more limited. Uh, GRC, we do provide counseling online uh, to global workers throughout the world. Anywhere there's an internet connection outside of the United States. And so we uh, have done a number of uh, services, including uh, counseling. Uh, we are doing, uh, there's a community, online community for women called Velvet Ashes, and it is for global worker women around the world. I think there are about 4,000 women. And we're actually partnering with them. Um, next week, I will be delivering a webinar uh, on there, which will be recorded, and women can go on there and download it. They have other like book studies and retreats online, so they're a great resource. Um, so those are the things that we also do assessments. Uh, so anybody who doesn't know really, you know, I, I'm not doing well, but I don't know how well I'm not doing. Um, it'd be great to get a, a, you know, get an assessment with somebody who could just talk with me and see, you know, am I making a too big a deal out of this, or am I worse than I think I am? And, you know, somebody to help put, put together a, a self-care plan, uh, GRC can help with that one-on-one -on -one online uh, through a secure uh, video conferencing. We use uh, Zoom for that. If you're looking for more resources to help you keep God at the center of your marriage, your role as a mom, or while using your gift to help others, then sign up for the Centered Notes. This bi-weekly newsletter is a devotional designed to meet you where you are and help you be the woman God wants you to be. Sign up today at keepingitcentered.com. Now back to the show. Wow. I didn't realize that um, resources were a bit more limited outside of the United States. That is really good to know. Um, something else that I've, I've been kind of tying together with your responses is that it sounds as if preparation really is essential um, I know, you know, you were mentioning how, you know, some people can be really compassionate. They're ready to just, you know, jump in with both feet and let's get started today. Um, you know, this yeah. is the place yeah. to work. Let's do it today, right now. Um, and I know I can be like that sometimes with things. Um, but I, I love this commonality in your responses of the importance of being prepared. Um, and, and it kind of reminds me, honestly, a bit of David in the Old Testament and how even though God had anointed, had him anointed to be the king of Israel, there was still that preparation period. He even worked under Saul, you know, so it's, it's that preparation sounds like it really yeah. is essential <laughs> for all of us. Yeah, it's, I would go as far as to say that it's a, it's a deal breaker. Um, yeah, uh, preparation doesn't guarantee success. Um, but lack of preparation um, leads to a much higher rate of, uh, of folks that it doesn't go well for them. And support systems, that's the other. Uh, so a lot of global workers have, you know, they'll go through a sending organization, and sending organizations provide a lot of supports. And we see a lot of global workers that don't have any kind of support system. They don't have a sending organization. They don't really have a, an employer, so to speak. They're just there on their own. And we find that there are just a lot more challenges uh, for, for folks that go kind of on their own or without adequate 
preparation and training. And um, so I think the key here is that whenever, again, going back to that research study, whenever we enter into something that is inherently stressful, we, we really want to make sure that we have the right corresponding supports in place so that we can succeed in what, what we've been called to. I know I'm I'm skipping back a bit here. You had mentioned that global workers uh, seem to be a bit more prepared for the coronavirus outbreak that we're experiencing right now um, at the time of this recording because of the nature of their work. And I'm wondering what advice you would give. How can those that are still on American soil um, feel a bit more prepared in their own hearts um, if, if they're, you know, if this is kind of the biggest thing they've really had to face, what advice do you have for them? Um, I know it's kind of late in the sense of <laughs> getting prepared, but like what can they do at this point now? Um, I think, so if this is the biggest thing that someone has experienced in their life, um, I think this is where self-awareness training begins. Um, take take inventory. What what about being homebound is stressful? What to what degree does a threat pose? That where do you go with it? Do, you know, does it? Um, you know, some people have a gift of faith where it's kind of like you know we we all die, and um, I'm not going to stress out too much about it. When it's time, it's time, and others. You know, that, that, that's the worst thought in the world that a loved one or a family member, um, you know, could, you know, they, they, they want to shut down everything in their life so as to, to protect the ones that they love. And we've worked with, um, you know, a number of global workers that have lost loved ones being faithful to what they believe they were called to do. And that's something to wrestle with God with. And so I think during this time, you know, taking taking inventory on how how do you wrestle with God around unknowns, um, with threat, with um, I would even say um, what what a lot of people feel like is either a lack of or conflicting information. The reality is is that most um, countries in the world actually where global workers are working, the governments actually manipulate all the information. So. Um, it, it's likely, uh, I'll give you an example. Actually, I used to live in Thailand. I don't, I think I failed to mention that <laughs> we, we went through a, we went through a coup. Well, all we could learn about the coup was what the government, um, allowed on, you know, in the news and there it's illegal to speak against the government in any derogatory or negative way. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there, it was near to impossible to get accurate information as to exactly what's happening. And I think that's the, you know, so for Americans, this idea that we, we tend to struggle with an illusion that we're in control of a lot in life. And I would suggest that most people groups in the rest of the world don't have that illusion. They, they probably have a more realistic view that we really control very little in this world. And so to, to practice living at peace with who we really are, not to think more of ourselves or that we deserve health, wealth, and prosperity— um, if you know, I think scripturally we could say that perhaps what do we deserve to um, we're called to suffer um, 
uh, 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 there's a passage in Mark that says, you know, very clearly, you will be sheep sent out among the wolves. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty clear, it will not go well with you. Um, and so the piece isn't in how well it goes or how good of the information we have or how healthy we are or what kind of resources that we can insulate ourselves. Um, for global workers, they live really at the mercy of day-to-day provision um, and at the mercy of local governments and communities and villages and neighbors and whatever. Um, and so I think this, this living in the unknown is probably pretty pretty good uh, training uh, for anybody who's you know, looking to, to go live in another, another culture or country. Um, and the, um, I could, on a, maybe a lighter note or a more practical note, how well can you get along with your family <laughs> in a house 24-7? And can you coordinate schedules and activities and work responsibilities and school responsibilities? And can you use your, uh, you know, your, 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 your grace toward each other um, at a very stressful time. And that is another snapshot of, again, what, how do you function under pressure or under stress? That's the best indicator of what life will be like for you living cross-culturally. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> I am fortunate <laughs> to um, be able to work from home during this time And um, I have heard from some colleagues and I've even heard from, you know, other friends and and acquaintances online. One of the number one things I hear is, oh, my gosh, I don't know how much longer I can deal with my family (laughs) during all of this. And so um, I guess that's like you're saying, that's probably a sign that maybe um, those of us feeling that way are not quite ready (laughs) to do this abroad. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that well, and again, in America we tend to have different expectations. We we have expectation that life should go a certain way and we get frustrated when there's obstacles toward that goal. Living cross culturally, it's almost the opposite. We used to laugh when I people that I worked with in Thailand if uh, we wake up assuming every day is not going to go according to plan. And if it does go according to plan, that's a rare surprise of a day. <laughs> so we, you don't know, like in, I had a friend in Nepal, they don't, they only, they all they're going to know is they get 12 hours of electricity, but they don't know which 12 hours they're going to get it. Oh, so wow. can you imagine planning every day? <laughs> How in the world would you plan for that? Right. to do your work and so you know that's the kind of but that's that's just the reality of most people living in this world is that it's just not that predictable like it is in america where i'm going to get this work done everybody needs to be quiet <laughs> <laughs> need to be out of my personal space off my computer my internet bandwidth isn't strong enough well you know we have clients all the time their internet literally goes out for days oh and my so gosh. Well, but, but I've got deadlines. How am I going to get that? Well, guess what? In other countries, you don't meet deadlines, and everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. In America, it's the kind of this unacceptable – we feel irresponsible if something goes wrong and we don't follow through or we don't make fill our commitments. 
And I think that's the um, that that's that's just another one of those differences. So if some people that's kind of like, well, hey, we're all at home together. Maybe we need to change our expectations about what we can actually accomplish. Maybe we're not going to be productive for the next whoever knows how long, two months. <laughs> but 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 man, maybe we'll never have another time when we're going to be together as a family this much. Right. This might be the only two months in our entire lives of our family that we're going to be together this much. Yeah. What yeah. can we do to make the most of that? Mm-hmm. I, I like that. That's another common thing I'm, I'm hearing your answers to is um, the whole finding something positive uh, in the midst of whatever's going on. Um, and, and I feel like that's what God wants us to do. You know, one of my favorite verses, uh, Philippians 4 and 8, you know, tell us to shift our thinking pretty much you know it's easy to think about all the things that aren't going our way and things we you know want to control but um you know we've we've got to change our mindset think about the things that are good lovely pure excellent praiseworthy um so i i like that i'm um, just changing that mindset and i feel like that might be something some of us may struggle with on a daily basis um some of us may already excel yeah. in that area <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had a client who they've got teenagers and their teenagers are at home doing doing school at home. But mm-hmm. the teenagers are kind of missing being with their friends. And a lot of their friends actually had to leave the country where they are because they weren't sure if they'd be able to get out right. um, anytime in the next few months. So they had to, they left right away. And there's a lot of grieving. But the, the dad, um, he's he's thrilled. To, to have this much time with his teenagers because he knows um, one's, one's going to be uh, graduating and the other one's only got a couple more years. And this is it. Mm-hmm. it, um, it he, he won't, he won't ever get this time back with his kids. Right. So, yeah, I just, you know, these are those opportunities um, that come, I, you know, that's funny. I had another colleague who actually said, finally, the office is going to close down. I can get some work done. <laughs> you know, this idea for some that it's I don't have all these other deadlines and expectations of the day to day. I can actually uh, think deeply and mm-hmm. reflect and I can have some, um, you know, that all those things that I wish I could have done when I had more time on my hands. Well, right. for a lot of people, that's now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's one other thing. I, I have to go back to it. I'm I'm really enjoying this conversation. <laughs> There's one thing I have to go back sure. to. You said um, a, a difference, a cultural difference that you've noticed between Americans and those um, outside of America is that in the States, we tend to wake up assuming everything's going to go as planned. How can we, as Americans, adopt that shift in mindset of assuming things won't go to our expectations without... Um, being negative about it without it having this downing sensation about it. How can we make that, that transition, that mind shift? Go live in another culture. <laughs> that might be the easiest way. I can see I, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had a, so a friend of mine told me he, he, when he was younger, he asked, he asked a really godly, mature man a very sincere question. He said, how do I cultivate humility? And my friend was dead serious. It was a sincere question. He, was, he really wanted to know, how can I cultivate the humility of Christ? 
And the wise man told him, he said, the only way to develop humility is through humiliation. You mm-hmm. can't learn about it. You can't wish it. You, you can't program it or even train it. You literally are conditioned in humility through going through humiliation. And there's something about that, and I don't know, I don't think that's the full answer to your question, but I do think that there is, um, there's got to be a deep reorienting of, of perspective and assumption about who we are and what we deserve and what we're called to. And experience is that for most people. Um, I suppose it is possible. Uh, some people I've heard that develop that is through literal gratitude. You know, just we're, you know, wow, we have electricity. You know what, Jaquetta, we actually have electricity for 24 hours a day here where we are mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time. So I used to live in Florida, and I had, and I saw somebody from Florida put a meme. They said, "This whole quarantine thing with electricity and Wi-Fi, I like this <laughs> because we used to get hurricanes a lot, and we used to sit in our houses without power, without air condition, and without Wi-Fi in the heat of the summer mm-hmm. in Florida because hurricanes would blow through there. Yeah. The year my daughter was born, we had three hurricanes in one summer. Oh my! I mean, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. But this idea that what I'm stuck in my I'm stuck at home with my family and we have electricity and we have air condition and we have yeah. or heat or wherever you live in the country. Mm-hmm. We have Wi Fi. We actually can entertain ourselves literally to death. Mm-hmm. We can we can for most of us we can still be productive and hit our expectations without getting out of pajamas now. Oh, I mean yes. we there's some there there's an incredible amount that we so undeservingly receive every day when our brothers and sisters around the world, you know, they get their bowl of rice for the day and they, they might have an open air, you know, thatched roof over their head. And, you know, and I, I, I know we use that to, to guilt our kids and the gratitude. Um, but there is something that's very sincere about that. And again, I, you know, it's kind of like, I don't, but I don't know how you, you asked a great question. And honestly, maybe my best answer is, I don't know. I don't know how to do that in this culture. Really makes me think. Um, wow. Yeah. I can definitely see, um, you know, how immersing ourselves in another culture will help. You know, I, I don't think I've shared this with you, but I, I actually used to teach French some years ago. And, you know, my students would ask, what's the best way to learn? And I kind of answered like that, too. You've got to immerse yourself in it. You know, it's it's it can be hard to be mm-hmm. something that you're not exposing yourself to um, on a higher level. Um, and I think we can kind of see that in different areas of life. You know, if we want to be <laughs> like you were saying that that better Christ follower, um, we've got to immerse ourselves in the things of God. Um, <laughs> it, it's a conditioning effect, and that's yeah. You can't and you can't you can't cognitively learn it in a sense. You have to catch it or mm-hmm. soak it in or something. You know, kind of like that. Yeah, I love that language immersion. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you it just kind of gets into you. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's interesting, a similar question that somebody asked me not too long ago. They said, how do you, um, like, uh, they saw the epidemic of, of, of children in Christian families not having gratitude and being entitled. And they asked me, they said, as a counselor, what, what do you, how, how do you help families um, cultivate gratitude and, and, and a absence of entitlement in children, particularly in children in this culture, in this time and age, because it's just kind of running rampant. Mm-hmm. Even in families that believe all the you know, right things, and they're very, a lot of, and, and she was asking me because she's seeing all these wonderful Christian parents, and she's looking at their children going, how did they raise those kids? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. There's this, this um, and, and, she, and her, her observation is that it wasn't the family, uh, just the parents, you know, rubbing off on the kids, that we live in a culture that's really strong, and there's this wave of, of entitlement and ingratitude. And so it's similar to your question. And I, it was interesting. I, so I, when I work with, with families, I'm like, well, I think biblically we only owe kids, parents owe kids four things. They owe them enough shelter, enough food, and enough clothing, and unconditional love. Yeah. And anything over the enough of the first three is a privilege that can be earned. And I think that in, in when I was talking to this person, they were asked they said, well, I don't know any family that withholds more than enough except for the fourth category. Yeah. <laughs> that, that oh, yeah. People that have the resources will overindulge in, in the first three categories and they will, and, and they sometimes starve the unconditional love component. Mm-hmm. But we overindulge in the food and the clothing and the shelter and all the other things that aren't even necessary. And then we expect them to be grateful. Right. And it's, again, it's a conditioning. How can you, you can't just say be grateful and it, and it produce gratitude. Mm-hmm. One actually has to practice it. Um, so I don't know if that, help, or if that even maybe corresponds a little bit to this idea of, um, in our culture, how would we do that as adults? But yeah, I'll leave it at that. I I, I like the response. <laughs> it makes sense to me, um, and I hope it makes sense to our our listeners. Um, it's yeah. we've got, like I said, just so much going on, a lot of craziness and and uncertain things going on. What what can we do, um, those of us listening? What can we do to help? you guys at GRC to better serve our global workers and those still on American soil. What can we do to contribute in this time? Well, uh, I'm trying to think the, if it's to GRC specifically, we're a, we're a nonprofit that operates off of uh, donations um, significantly. So if any of your listeners that, want to support financially a, a nonprofit that helps global workers. Um, there's that opportunity on our website, which is godspeedresources.org. In the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says donate. And um, that's, that's one option. Um, and I would say within that, there's, there's the, also we've, we've launched a scholarship fund that actually helps um, a lot of the global workers who can't afford the services. Um, and then we have our general fund and we have a travel fund. Um, 
all of our staff right now are grounded. Uh, we had one staff who just uh, got out of Malaysia just in the nick of time before they closed the borders, and they're safely back in the U.S. But we have a colleague from Brazil who was here this past weekend for a conference, and she had to leave that day and was told if she wasn't on a plane out of the U.S. back to Brazil, she would have to um, wait until May to get back. And she's got a husband and a toddler. And so Aww. she was like, oh, there's no way. Yeah. And so she was fortunately able to get back, get on the plane and get out of the U.S. and get back. Um, in terms of support, I would say uh, that's that's one way. Financial donations, um, prayer is, is huge. Um, and then I would say beyond GRC, but just the global workers, for your listeners who actually maybe have friends or uh, already support global workers, um, you know, I think just reaching out to them, um, you know, connect. Uh, that's the beauty of something, you know, like, like Zoom or um, WhatsApp or just uh, this idea of, of connecting. Um, one, you know, one option maybe, too, is to find out if they're able to receive packages um, from from the U.S. and see if there's any restrictions, you know, with the with the coronavirus as to whether or not they're, they're having any problems receiving packages. But packages are, man, I think that's every global worker's love language. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, uh, you could almost like just, you know, wrap up an empty box and send it just for them <laughs> to be able to receive something from somebody who's thinking about them is, is a huge encouragement. Um The other thing I found, too, is that for your listeners who actually, uh, you know, like I said, either support a global worker or are friends with a global worker, a lot of global workers spend a lot of time communicating, meaning they're writing newsletters. They're constantly having to report on what they do. They a lot of times really enjoy getting updates from people back in the U.S. Just and most people in general population in the U.S. don't ever think to write a newsletter, except for maybe like at the end of year, like for Christmas letters. Now a lot of people will do a family photo with a here's our year, year end, what have, here are the highlights of our year. Um, but but a lot of global workers like to kind of keep in, you know, it's a, more of a two-way street. Um, they like to hear what's going on in the lives of those that are, you know, back home or um any other interesting things that are happening, photos of your family. Um, a lot of global workers I found really like to pray for people back in the U.S. as well. So, um, yeah, maybe a two-way street uh, concept would be would be helpful. Okay, awesome. So those are some ways that we can get involved and help you. Um, how can we keep in touch. Um, if, if there's anyone listening that may, uh, know of someone that could use your services, or maybe we do have, um, those already out there that hear and they know, like, I need, I need to talk to you. How can we reach, uh, you and to find out more about your services? Yeah. So we've made this as easy as we possibly can. It all goes through our website, godspeedresources.org. So if any of your listeners are either um, living in another country and serving or they're, uh, you know, folks that are in the U.S. that know people, they literally just go to our website, email that link to their friend. um, And on there, we actually have a secure uh, online intake form that we where we ask them, 
you know, to fill out, give us their, give us their information, what, you know, kind of what they, what's going on with them, what they need. Um, we have a whole list of kind of questions that really help us get the best sense of what do they need and which of our staff would best be able to, to care for them. And we match them up with somebody. Typically we, I think we're in about the one to two weeks. So within a week to two weeks, we can have them scheduled uh, for an initial assessment. And that initial assessment is really, um, we find that that's, that's a huge blessing to, to global workers because that's the time when they can really share their story. Our care providers are all licensed in, in the different disciplines that they're in and really know what to listen for and are really able to help kind of shape and give context for what that worker's going through and then make a, a, an assessment and make recommendations of here's what we think would be helpful for you. And so um, we found that a lot of global workers just don't know what, what do I, you know, what, is, is this a problem? Is it not a problem? What should I do about it? Is it, you know, do, do we need a leave? Do, should we stay? Do we need, you know, what, what do we need? They just don't know. And so we're able to do that. So if they want to just sh- uh, share the, the website, um, my direct email, if anybody has questions or wants to talk further about any of these things, I can give you my email is Curtis spelled C-U-R-T-I-S, at godspeedresources.org. And I'm happy to, and if they can uh, put in your, uh, like a subject or in the email that they heard me on your podcast, that would be particularly helpful. Awesome. And for anyone listening, I will have all of this information, including the resources, because there are a lot of resources mentioned, Um, I will have all of those in the show notes and I always keep uh, my show notes on uh, the Keeping It Centered website. Um, And then if you're listening like on Apple or whatever, you know, you can see the show notes from there as well. So I'll definitely have that there. Um, My last question, I always ask all of my guests this question. Um, You know, you've got a lot going on. You've got your own family um, and you deal with a lot of different people and and things that they're going through you're sharing burdens with others how in the world are you able to keep God at the center of your life Jaquetta I would probably to, to as honest answers I can give you is I don't keep him at the center of my life um, fortunately he keeps me in his, um, and I think that might be the most gracious thing that, that I've experienced. Um, I know a lot of people struggle to hold on to God and not lose their grip. Uh, I find that I have a very weak grip, but his is pretty strong on me and doesn't let me get far. And uh, that's the grace of God in my life. Um, there's some means of grace that he's given that I... Um, I would say that I hold dear. Um, corporate worship is one of them. Um, Sabbath rest is uh, is a non-negotiable. So there are just certain things that have to happen. Um, and I would say even in corporate worship, one specific uh, sacrament is communion. 
um, that I've found for me and in talking with others that the sharing in the body and blood of Christ and the sacrament of communion, there's nothing that can replace it. I, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, this idea that the peace of Christ comes through the presence of Christ. And Christ's presence, at least in one special way, is through communion. And I've talked to a lot of people who struggle with feeling distant from God. And I'll usually ask them that question, you know, how often or when's the last time you had communion? And they look puzzled most of the time and say, well, I don't, you know, six months, why? Why would that matter? And I think it's the one way specifically in the New Testament that he has given us that is, um, you know, there are a lot of books on how to connect with God. Um, There's one very specific way that Christ gave us. And so, in my mind, it's a good place to start. So I think communion, Sabbath, corporate worship, um, again, I think God has a sense of humor. He... um, orchestrates things in my life that are, uh, keeps me humble. Um, and then I would say outside of that would be my, my wife and my children are probably the most formative people in my life. Um, I heard somebody once say that the Holy spirit sounds a whole lot like your wife. (laughs) And I thought that's about as accurate as, uh, I don't, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like, um, but I know what my voice, my wife's voice sounds like, and, uh, and, and it, it, it does. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, um, and God's given me, you know, two uh, incredible kids that um, are about as enjoyable of people, not just kids, but people that I've ever been around. And so, um, you know, I think, so through, through those relationships, um, that's been quite formative and in a lot of ways I don't know that I well let me clarify that I know I wouldn't be the man that I am today if it wasn't for for those three so that's awesome awesome well I again have thoroughly 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 enjoyed our uh discussion I've certainly learned a lot um and I, I just again I hope this is a blessing to anyone that's listening um, again, you know, we'll have all the, the, the notes and things that you need, um, on the, the website at keepingitcenter.com. Um, but again, Curtis, I just, I thank you so much for taking this time to, um, chat with us this, this afternoon and, um, I'll continue to pray for you and, and those that, uh, work with you, especially during this time. Well, thank you, Jaquetta. It was a pleasure uh, to be, be your guest and thank you for, uh, just your effort uh, in putting this uh, podcast together to, to be a blessing to so many. Thank you all so, so much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, do not, I, I really don't take it for granted that you guys tune in. Um, I count it a privilege to be able to serve God in this capacity. And I just hope and pray that you've been able to take something away from this episode and to use it in your life or to pass it along to somebody else. Um, if you all are ever looking for a way to be more connected and, um, 
you know, connection is so important, especially right now in a time when we're all at the time of this recording, we're, we're supposed to be in, in self-isolation. Um, but if you're looking for a way to stay connected to some believers um, in the body um, on Instagram, you can follow um, us at Keeping It Centered. And that's where every week we share content to encourage wives, moms, and difference makers in their faith walk. Let's go ahead and close it out in prayer. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love and your protection. And we pray for global workers everywhere and even those here in ministry in the States. We are living in uncertain times, but God, we are so, so grateful to know that you know when you see everything and you are not surprised at all by this pandemic. You're not surprised by anything that's going on in our personal lives at this time. And we're asking that you would help us to remember, God, that your word says we will go through waters, we will go through fire, but you are there with us every step of the way. You haven't forsaken us. You haven't taken your presence away from us. You are right here with us in the midst of it all. So God, help us to rest in you and help us to rest in your peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been driving along, you can find today's show notes over at www.keepingitcentered.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for The Centered Notes, our bi-weekly devotional newsletter. And follow us over at Instagram at Keeping It Centered.